0: Um, yes, I do. Yes. Yes, I think hell does exist. Um, I'm not sure. Well, number one, it's a place I do not want to be. It is an eternity of gnashing of teeth and torment. Hell for me probably is the struggles that we deal with here on earth and the stuff that doesn't seem like it comes easily or the stuff that doesn't seem fair, uh, maybe some of the the evil that exists here. For me, that's what hell is. Work. Work is hell. It's just too much stuff going on, so I feel like this is a part of hell, you know? It's not like it's burning fire, but we're a lot of hurt and a lot of pain, so I feel that, like, this is hell. I mean, I hate to say it, but it's true. There are obviously people that, um, that do harm to children and stuff, but it's hard for me to uh, decide that um, maybe they just have some internal struggle that I don't and um, could be forgiven beyond it, which is a difficult place to put yourself in, especially if it happened to one of my kids. But um, I don't know. I don't get to decide that, I guess. I don't think anybody deserves it, but I think certain people um, go. There are those non-believers and those that refuse God, and that's what the place is for. But in my opinion, no one deserves it. There's so many horrendous crimes against children and animals. Those are the people who I want to, to feel the heat, so to speak. People who doesn't do well, their karmas are not good. They go to hell, and they're punished by God. Uh, I, I think it's a karma kind of thing. You get what you give. and If you're cruel and and an awful person, usually it comes back to bite you. I don't think any soul deserves hell. Unfortunately, if you choose to not um, listen and follow and love, I I feel like you're doomed. That's the best way I could put it. So clearly, society has many different views on hell. Some think that their life on earth is hell. Others think that hell is figurative. And others believe that hell is a literal place of eternal punishment. And still, of those who believe that hell is a literal place of punishment, uh, they differ on who deserves to go to hell. So Randy will be addressing this very question. Do non-Christians deserve eternal punishment? What I want to know for you that have been here in the last few weeks, how did he grow that hair back? <laughs> we used that last year as a... A good little uh, promotion to what we're talking about today. And let me say, first of all, to you that are new with us, welcome. We're glad to have you every week. I know we have other people who come uh, this week. In, in fact, a crowd a little smaller this week, which I hate because I told my wife as we were driving in today, I said, this is the linchpin right here this week. This is the one to me of all weeks that addresses the issues to help people the most in their investigation. All weeks are important, but uh, this one I think you'll find to be uh, intriguing, if nothing else. So let me give you a little uh, history to where we've been the the first two weeks. The first week, we addressed the question, really, why why would theists want to investigate? Why is it that I now do not meet theists who do not want to investigate? I mean, I, I say that, and I'm sure I've met somebody here or there, but I don't remember the last time. But I sat down, had a conversation with a theist who was not a Christian, who said, "I do not want to investigate." And so we addressed that under the the guise of the the question, "How do you find life satisfaction?" Because we're all looking for satisfaction—either initial satisfaction, our lives may be miserable, or we're satisfied with life. But we always say, "Hey, I could always enjoy a little bit more satisfaction than I have now." So we address from that perspective. So we spent week one kind of introducing the bigger subject matter and the four questions that have to be addressed in order to have a good investigation. The first question is, how can Christians believe that the Bible is God's word and it's without error so it can be trusted, it can be believed? And so we address that question. Uh, This week, we're going to address question number two of four questions, and that is, uh, how is it that Christians can believe that all people, including moral and religious people outside of the Christian faith, would deserve to be separated from God for all eternity? How can that be? Now, next week, we're going to address not the most intriguing, but in some respects, you could hold it up to be the most important um, once you get past this this week, you, you look at the issue of, of Jesus. Is Jesus really the Son of God? Which is what we're looking for anyway. With all the religious leaders that have ever lived. How can we say as Christians that there is one of the many who is all the others are not? So next week we're going to discuss that and also address the question, well, what about other religions? And we're going to actually look at the more major competing religions that stand up against Christianity. And so we'll kind of take a a, a quick glance, but we'll look at it as, uh, as many as we can in the time that we have. So uh, then the last week, we certainly want to address the big question. Last week, I made the comment that it will be my commitment that by week four, when week four is in, ended, we will know the answer to this question. What is it that Jesus says is required to have eternal life. Therefore, if we were to believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be, then we would want to know what does he have to say as the answer to that question. So that's kind of where we went over the, the last two weeks. Now let me, let me just say that as we're working through these questions, my goal is not it is not to persuade you ...to agree with what I believe. I have stepped out of bounds if that's my intention, my goal, my reason to have you here. I have not helped you as much. Nothing wrong with that. We want people to go where we believe is the the greatest and appropriate and and truthful uh, way of life, certainly. But there is a, a more important approach to this, and that is to make sure that you have been able to do an adequate investigation... That's what I promise. I can't promise that I would persuade you. I I could do that. Maybe not. I don't know. But that's not the real issue. You've got to come to the place where you can say, I have had a very good just investigation of these real issues, and now I can come to my own conclusion as to what I believe. I never wanted anybody twisting my arm, pushing me, trying to persuade me. I don't think you do either. And I think one of the better parts of the investigation is what I'm inviting you to do week to week as you go home with the Gospel of John, read five chapters, look at the questions that are in the text, that are in the margin, and try to come to grips with some of those questions. I think it's one of the best things I can do to help you. So that is the idea. I want you to think of it this way. I think you are like me. I am a betting man. I'm a gambler. You are too, really. I don't gamble with money. That's not my thing. But I gamble every day. I bet. I make bets and I act on the bets that I've made. And when it comes to the faith of life, we're all making a bet. Some of us are betting. We don't have absolute knowledge in terms of certainty of proof where we can say, I can prove that God exists. You show me somebody that can prove God exists, and I say, I don't, I don't buy it for a minute. There will be a faith element. There will be a faith element. And people say, well, that's why I don't want this religion. I have to, it's a faith element. I don't want something I have to believe with a faith. I say, let me tell you, everybody who's not of the faith of Christianity is betting as well. They're betting that Jesus was not who he claimed to be. They're betting that there was no resurrection. They're betting a lot of things and living life accordingly. So we're all betting. It's just based on the evidence we have. What's the better bet? What's the better bet? Now, I'm of the opinion, because I am a Christian. You need to understand this. I'm of the opinion that the real issue is not the data, 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 data. i got to have all this that's going to absolutely prove. I don't think that's it. It's just like this. It's a trust relationship. Why would anybody trust? someone that they've never met you'd have to meet them to really trust them the better you know them the easier it is to trust and so what i find is what happened in my life and i see happen in other people's lives people come into a relationship with god through the person of jesus if it's real that's what we're saying that's happening and then there's a trust level that comes in and all of a sudden our beliefs begin to firm in, re, in areas that otherwise we were a little bit more, I'm not sure my bet, I'm, and then we began to bet all the more. And that's why I encourage getting into the Gospel of John. That's where I see relationships born is in the midst of searching out God's Word. So that kind of gives you a background to where we are, what we're doing, all right? This week now we want to deal with a question, and that is, uh, how about good people? Do they really deserve to be punished for all eternity? This week, among all weeks, you will want your, ha- your handout. If you don't have one on your seat, there's one next to you. I see a bunch of them h- hanging around, so uh, be sure and, uh, and follow this. We'll put some stuff on the board, but I'm going to walk through this, and this will be a little guide for you to take back with you to remember some of the things that we've talked about. Let me address these four important points that you have on the front of your of your outline there. And I'm going to do it by introducing it with the, the idea of presuppositions. Everybody should know, probably most do know, except for our youngest that might be joining us here, uh, what a presupposition is. It's something that we pre-suppose. We assume that something is true. And it's the presuppositions that are going to determine what we embrace and believe, or what we suppose to be true. People often fail to see how critically important our presuppositions are. We can have a wrong presupposition and it will take us to the wrong assumptions, what we assume. And so we want to make sure that we have dug into the presuppositions. So I'm going to give you four presuppositions. That most people who are thinking about Christianity, exploring the faith, many of which are in, have never explored. And therefore their faith is kind of shaky. Because we have to understand these four presuppositions. I'm not suggesting that I'm going to sell you that these are all right and adequate. And it's your, your choice whether you believe it or not. But this, these are the four presuppositions that are making the basis for the faith that we are embracing in Christianity. Here's number one. Number one, good people are not necessarily righteous people. There are no innocent people. That changes everything if that is accurate. If that is accurate. Let me give you a little background. I, uh, I was meeting with a, a man who had called me who's a f- friend of a mutual friend. One of the great golf pros. Wonderful, I mean, incredible player. And uh, he called me and he said, You know, I'm a friend so and so, I've, and I've heard that you've met with men. And based on the fact of our relationship with this friend and so forth, he told me to call you, blah, blah, blah. And could we meet together? Yes. So we get together and we're having lunch. And I said, Well, what can I help you with? And he says, Well, first of all, I want to make this really clear I'm a really good man. I am a good man. I'm Catholic, I go to church, I'm a good man. But I need to talk to you because I've got some struggles in life and, and I need to figure out how to deal with these struggles. I said, well, what are you talking about? Well, he said, first of all, he says, I'm an alcoholic and I, I, can't, I can't quit drinking. I've, I've done it all. I, I just can't figure out how to ever make that happen. And I'm really going to lose my career and my, my family and everything. I'm going I'm to lose it, I know. But now I want you to know I'm a good man. Okay. He says, secondly, I'm, I'm having an affair with this woman. It's been going on for quite a while. My wife has no clue. She is the devil in disguise, and I know it. And it's going to kill me. My, my family, I got a wonderful family. Everything is so good. And, and I'm going to lose it all, I know. Uh, but I, I can't get out of her grip. I mean, she, and I just really, I love being with this woman. And, but I want you to know this. I am a very good man, okay? Okay. Well, after a litany of the various things that he is struggling with, and then parenthesis every time, or or, or a little comma saying, oh, by the way, I'm a good man. Finally, I said, okay, let me just ask you a question. You're a great golfer, one of the best. You tell me, true or false? I know not everybody here is golfer. Most of you are not. But I, I knew this much. I said, is it true or false? That if you have a terrible grip, the way you hold the club, posture, the way you posture your body when you get ready to hit the ball, and alignment, how you're aligned to the target. If you have a perfect grip, posture, and alignment, is it true that if you had no clue how to hit a golf ball, but you could keep those three perfect and try to swing and just practice hitting balls, you would become a fairly good golfer over time? True or false? He said, absolutely true. True. I said, tell me this, is it true that if you have a terrible grip, terrible posture, terrible alignment, you could practice and practice and practice and never get better, true or false? He said, "That's true. I said, you know, the same is true in life. And this is good for all of us to understand as we investigate the faith of Christianity. I said, the same is true in life. We have a grip, we have a posture, and we have an alignment. The grip is our view of ourself. Our posture is our view of God, and our alignment is our view of life, the world in which we live. And so I just simply said to him, would you like for me to do a diagnostic on your grip, posture, and alignment? Do you know all these three are just presuppositions I was dealing with? I I knew he had some broken presuppositions, some, some things that were not accurate according to my beliefs for sure. Christianity, So I said, would you want my perspective? I said, yeah. I said, I mean, you're a great golfer. If, if you looked at my grip, posture, and alignment, I, I, you could probably help me out, right? Right? Yeah. Well, I, this is what I do. I look at people's grip, posture, alignment all the time. Doesn't mean I'm right, but you, you know, I got a better chance of being right than you probably because just like you've got a better understanding of the grip, posture, alignment in golf. Did said, yeah, yeah. That's okay. So here's your, here are your options. Let's look at our view of ourself to begin with. Give me one of, give me which one you think would be accurate. Here's number one. Number one, man is good. That's one option. Number two, man is good, but with a little bad. Man is, number three, bad, with a little good. And number four, man is just bad. All right? You tell me, which do you think is accurate? Well, you could pick for yourself, too. And and so he said, I think man is good with a little bad. And I said, well, not that I'm always accurate, but I would say you have a terrible grip. He said, really? I said, yeah. I said, do you want to try your posture and alignment? I gave him four views of God. He picked the wrong one. Four views of the world and life in which we live. He picked the wrong one. So so get this straight. From my perspective, you're swinging and practicing and practicing. Because he had made the comment, I'm trying to be so good. I'm living so hard to be good. But I just can't do it. I said, here's the deal. You are trying and trying and trying. And you can't do it because you've got a bad grip, posture, and alignment. Well, what we're talking about today is... This whole grip issue. It's the presupposition of our view of self. What is the what is the view of self of the Bible? So here's what it teaches, just so you'll understand where we're going. It's teaching us that man is bad. Well, that doesn't sound like good news. And, and isn't Christianity it's supposed to be comforting and helpful? Well, not in every respect, because sometimes we have to go through some hard to get to the good. You have to go to the valley to get to the, to the mountaintop. Well, this, this one is a reality that we have to understand. Now, according to the Bible, Jesus is met by someone who says, hey, good teacher, and immediately he said, whoa, 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 why do you call me good? Do you not know that there's none good but one? He's referring to God. Now, he's not saying he's not good. He's just simply saying this, hey, why would you call me good? Because you don't think I'm God, though I am. And you're calling me good, and you don't think I'm God. He's not denying that he's good, but he's saying only God is good. In Romans chapter 3, there is a quote taken from the psalmist David. The quote is by the apostle Paul. Now, we have the two most prevalent known and and most uh, wrote more data of the Old Testament and the New Testament than any, if you put it all together. And here is Paul in Romans 3, and he's quoting David, King David. This is what he says. There is none good, no, not one. There is none who seek for God, no, not one. There is none good, no, not one. Now, when I read that, it sounds like to me that they're none good, according to the Bible. Well, why did Paul say that? Because that was the teaching of Jesus. It was the teaching of David. It's the teaching of the whole Bible. And that's, that is the barrier of all barriers. People do not want to think, we don't want to think of ourselves as bad. Maybe good with a little bad, but don't put me in the category of bad. And if we believe that we are good we're never going to be able to comprehend the answer. Why would God allow bad things to happen to good people? My grandfather started as a young man a funeral home. And it was about 50 miles from where I lived, my hometown. And he had that funeral home from the day that he died. Well, this funeral home became kind of a second home when I was visiting my grandparents. It was just a For my brother and me, my only sibling and me, uh, the the funeral home was a wonderful place to play. I mean, hide and seek, you could go to the casket room, you could go to the balming room, you could, I mean, there were all kinds of places to hide, and you could even, if you wanted to, sneak in and get into a casket. I mean, you could do whatever you wanted to do. Great hiding places. One day, my grandfather said, would you like to go see a man be embalmed? I was just about this high. And I go, yeah. See, I didn't think anything about dead, dead people. I saw dead people all the time. I grew up with it as a kid. So I go into the, I go into the embalming room, and, and the man's laying there, and his arm is laying right in front of my neck. I mean, I'm just so high. And My grandfather and another man are over here working at, toward the head of the man, and and I'm staring at him, and I'm going, wow. This guy's young. He looks, he looks alive. How do you know he's not asleep and this is weird death i was just trying to kind of comprehend it all and i thought surely he would respond to something and so i made sure my grandfather wasn't looking and i put my arms like this up by the guy's arm and i went thump real hard (laughs) and i just stared at his eyes he's laying there and nothing but he didn't he didn't flinch that's weird I remember thinking, I wonder what a pinch would do. And so I took my fingers and I pinched his skin as hard as I could. He didn't flinch. And I remember thinking, wow, what would it take to get him to move? There's nothing. Why? Because he is dead. See, the Bible talks about man as he's being described under what we think is inspiration of God's Word. That man is dead in his sin, hmm. he didn't say wounded or injured or or sick. He says dead. I think he uses that for a reason. So in this funeral home, they would bring they would bring in guys that were that were uh, let's say thirty year old man who had a heart attack, and you'd see him and you go, "How do you know he's not just asleep?" I mean, he looks as normal and good as anybody. But then they would bring in somebody that's been found in the woods, maybe a month or two previous, who had died. And they bring him in, and oh, the stench and the sight. You just go, ugh. Now, here's the question that we have to answer. Which of the two were most dead? They're equally dead, right? And I think that's why we get confused. There are some Osama Bin Laden's who stink to the high heavens. And we go, ah. And then there's some very moral religious people who look so real. And we go, surely there's a distinction. Well, it depends. Are both dead outside of Jesus? That's the truth of Scripture. So a very important thing to understand. Let's look at number two. And we're going to dig deep here, so hang on with me, okay? It'll be helpful, but it won't be easy. So number two, everyone has an opportunity That's a very important point. What is, according to the Bible, what is man so guilty of that would send him to perish forever? I can ask that to a general audience and I know my answer. If I ask it to a Christian audience, for the most part, I'm going to get the same answer. According to Christianity, why does God send people to a priceless eternity in hell? And the answer is, because they reject Jesus. I hear that all the time. That is not true. That is not according to the Bible. I don't know if people gather that, but it's not true. Such a belief would assume that God would owe it to send Jesus to earth. Because the Bible story, if you remember last week, or week number one, we went into the story of glory. We lost uh, the fact that that, uh, about glory, uh, we were designed with glory, but we fell from glory. Because in that, we are sinners. And according to that view, it would mean that God owes it to man to send a Savior to sinful people. If that were the case, then our salvation in Christianity would be based on merit. It would be the justice of God. To send us an opportunity. That's not the teaching of the Bible at all. We'll enter that word grace. It's because God gives us what we don't deserve. He did not have to send his son. So for you that are in the seeking mode here. Trying to figure this out. If you ask us as Christians. Who hold to the truth of the Bible. What would have happened to mankind. Every person. Alive. If God had not sent his son Jesus, the correct answer would be all people would perish justly. Because God said to man, if you sin, you will die. Man sins. Now that's going to raise a question I'm going to address thirdly in just a quick minute, and that's this. The question that I would ask, I say this to virtually everybody I meet with over lunch. I say, now if I'm sitting in your seat right now, and I used to, I tell you the question I'm asking, hey, all this is based on the fact that one guy, Adam, sinned. A long time ago. And now all of us are now sinful. That's the teaching of the Bible. You can go to Romans chapter 5. Clear as a bell. That doesn't seem fair. So we'll address that number three. But let me finish this first of all. Everyone has an opportunity. So if it's not that we reject Jesus that sends people to a priceless eternity, what is it? The answer is found in the book of Romans 1:18. And it goes like this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man who suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. Suppress the truth of God. There's the answer. What we're doing is we're pushing away from God. It has nothing to do with Jesus. We push away from God. And that's what causes us to be found guilty in the eyes of God. You see, we all innately know... That there's a God. I heard this. Everybody hears this a thousand times. Well, what about the people who never hear Jesus? What about the people who never hear Jesus? Well, here's the thing. It's not the issue of Jesus now. What precedes that is the issue of our knowledge of God. Now, I'm of the opinion, could never prove it, but I'm of the, the strong opinion that everybody innately knows there's a God. You know why I believe that? I believe that simply because... We are made in the image of God, according to the Bible. Because I believe that. That's not hard for me to believe. That we all, if we're made in somebody's image, hey, we're going to know that there's a designer and there's a design. So, okay, I know that. I have people that have told me through the years, I'm a, I'm an atheist. I go, you're a real atheist, or you an agnostic? You just don't know. Atheist says, I know there's no God. I'm totally 100% convinced. I say, really? Well, one person that I was talking to um, about the faith of Christianity, and they said, well, I don't buy any of it. And I said, why is that? well, I'm an atheist. And I said, come on, are you really an atheist are you an agnostic? No, I am an atheist. I said, okay. Can, can I do this? Can, can I just share a few prayers that I've had answered over the last just few months? Just a few of my prayers. And Tell me what you think about it. Said, okay. And so I shared my answers to prayer. I said, how do you think that happened? And they said, I don't know, but stranger things happen in this world. And it's sure not going to make me believe in God. Okay. I said, so let me do this then. I'm going to do something that you won't care about. I'm sure it won't bother but I'm going to just tell you what I'm going to start doing. They said, what's that? I said, I'm going to start praying, and I'm going to pray about you. And they said, so? I said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray that all kind of misery, pain, I'm going to pray for loss of loved ones. I'm going to pray for loss of career. I'm going to pray for loss of health. As I start listening to this thing, this person said, don't do that. Don't do that. I went, why are you telling me not to do that? They said, you know there's no God. Why do you care? Because innately, this person did. This person became a follower of Jesus, strong follower of Jesus today, and would say, I never was really an atheist, proven by the very fact of what I challenged this person with. Now, doesn't mean that's true, but that's my strong opinion that we innately know that there is a God. So, the reality is this, according to the Bible, those who desire God, wherever they live, wherever they are, if they truly have a desire for God, God will make known the plan of salvation including Jesus. You say, eh, "I'm buying that." Right? The Bible says that those to whom light is given and they respond, more light should be given. I have come back, every, not every year, but multiple years. I'm going this year. I go over to the, to the Middle East region of the world, uh, the, the uh, Muslim world, and it is amazing. I'm not talking about dozens. I'm not talking about hundreds. I'm talking about thousands upon thousands of verifiable stories of people who have come to faith in Jesus having no understanding of Christianity because of a dream or a vision of Jesus. And I'm telling these stories are numerous. How is it that you became a Christian where you live? Let me tell you. And I've been heard of Jesus, and I met him, and I said, I, started, I just started looking everywhere to find out who is Jesus, what's he all about. And I came to faith in Jesus. That doesn't mean it's real, but you need to know that the presupposition of the Christian faith is that everyone does have an opportunity. If you wanted to read a, a story in the scripture that's a very similar type of story, you go to Acts 10, the story of Cornelius. It's a story of one who did not understand about Jesus, but because his heart opened up to God, it was made clear that there would be an answer. Every time I hear that, in a tribal area, in some deep place, maybe let's say in in Africa we often think about who've never heard the name of Jesus, never had the Bible, and I hear that a a Bible translation has now gone into that tribal area, my first thought is there was somebody in there whose heart opened up to God, and they're going to find out about Jesus. Now one other quick thing, and that is you and I tend to believe another presupposition we have to deal with we have the presupposition that says, for God to be fair, he has to treat everybody the same. That is really not true. Let me illustrate. Jesus in Matthew 20, he raises a, a, a great parable. He says, here was this worker uh, or this landowner, and he wanted people to work his property. And so he hired these people in the early morning. And uh, let's say it's 6 o'clock in the morning, he hires them. He says, I'll pay you 20 bucks if you'll work all day. And then a little maybe at nine in the morning, he says, Hey, I need some more workers. If you'll work to the end of the day, I'll give you twenty bucks. And then at noon, he does the same thing. At three o'clock. Same thing. And then at six, the workday ends. at the end, everybody gathered to get their money, and, and the people who came at six o'clock got their twenty bucks, and they saw the people at three o'clock, and they got twenty bucks, and what did they do? They started saying, Hey, that's not fair. And what did Jesus say? Whoa, 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 whoa. No fairness. I've not been unfair, but for me to show abundance of kindness, to give somebody more than they deserve is not being unfair. That's being gracious. And to not be the same graciousness to all is not unfair at all. It's just I'm not being as gracious to them as I was in graciousness in in hiring them, and they wanted the job. So I'm taking one of my children, when they were young, I'm taking them out for a date night. We used to do this. I'd take a different child. We'd rotate. We had four children. i rotate date night. And so one night, we're going out early evening, and it's ready to go home. And, and one of my kids, of course, I just spoil them on their date night. And one of my kids says, hey, can we get some ice cream? And I go, "Sorry, oh, no, we got to go home right now. If, if you walk in with an ice cream cone, you know what the other three. And then I go, hmm, yeah, let's go get some ice cream. And so I get some ice cream as close to the home as possible. I said, please do not finish it before we get home. And so they walk in with their the remains of their ice cream cone, and the others say, Oh boy, ice cream. Where's our ice cream? I said, Oh, I didn't get you any ice cream. Well, you didn't get you got you got him some. I know, I got him some. That was fun, but I didn't get you any. <laughs> what do I hear? That's not what? That's not fair. I said, oh, is that not fair? I did not realize. Let me, hold on. Let me rethink this. Let me think of the, po- the laws of the popes. Uh, hey, Queen Carol, come here. And uh, King, King Randy and Queen Carol are going to have a little discussion on is this. And so we talked, to them and I said, hey, you know, um, we realize there's nothing in the, the laws of the popes that says if you buy ice cream for one, you have to buy ice cream for all four. So we didn't do anything wrong. We didn't violate anything that was inappropriate. And my point was to make them understand this, as kids today don't get. Hey, to treat somebody differently than everyone else is not. It's, you don't want to treat one unjustly, yes, but you can show grace and kindness to whomever you choose. Yes, some people hear the name of Jesus all the time. And some people, they don't hear it at all. But when anybody's heart opens, it's all the same. We all have an opportunity. Let me go to the third presupposition god does not deal only with individuals we are a western people here and some of you have come from the east this is easier for you than those of us that are purely westerners but westerners mold well, this idea that god does not deal only with individuals it just doesn't compute we're all individualistic but in the eastern world it was understood that there's a thing called corporate personality. In the ancient East, this was very common. If you hired someone, to put it in the modern vernacular, if you were to hire somebody in a position in the company and find out that they had a twin, they had a brother, they had a sister, wouldn't matter if they were a sibling that was unemployed, then they would have to hire that person even though there was no job for that person. They'd create a job. They say, we cannot hire you because there's a corporate personality. You are one. You are one with your siblings. And so we treat one, we treat all the same as the one. Now, we don't get that. But it's a very interesting concept. You see it in the Bible all the time. For instance, there's a story about where the Israelites, God's people, for you that don't know the Bible much, God's people were coming in to what would be called the promised land, the land promised of God to his people. They're coming into the promised land, and they're being led by Joshua, who is kind of the, the head, uh, the, the leader, the military leader of the Israelites. And they go into a place called Jericho, a big city with huge fortified walls. You might have heard the story of the walls of Jericho. Well, this is where the walls fall, and, and, and they take the, uh, the city. And it's an amazing victory because the, it's the, the weak defeated the strong. So it's a a great war story, so to speak. Well, they were given the command that you shall not take any of the spoils, none of the silver, the gold, the livestock, nothing. You can't have anything that was theirs. That was the rule that God put on them. Well, then they have to go right down the plain, a small little village town. uh, It was called Ai, and it was easy to defeat. They didn't even need all their warriors. Okay, this will be simple. So they go down there and they get whipped by little Ai. And so Joshua comes back and he says, God, what happened? And God says, that happened because of the sin at Jericho. What happened? Well, there was somebody who took some of the spoils. Who was it? Well, come show up tomorrow and we'll find that out. And So they gather together and and they're all, and all of Israel's divided into 12 tribes. So the 12 tribes are there and he says, those 11 tribes, they can leave, left with one tribe. A tribe is made up, uh, of, uh, uh, of various clans, and multiple families in the clan. So he says, all these clans, you can leave one clan left. Clans made up of families. And so he said, all you families can leave, and here's one family. And you would think this is an extended family. Here's this one family. And said, the sin is this man. It's Achan. Now, can you imagine Achan's first cousin that's in that family who hates, a- hates Achan? And he goes, yeah, thank goodness, he gets caught. rascal, he's always doing bad stuff, whatever. And then God says, okay, kill everybody. Kill the whole family. First cousin says, whoa, I would have told on him, God. I hate him. I want you to kill him. I'm not on his side. No, you're in his family. You all die. What do we all say? Many of us as Christians that are here. We say, well, gosh, that's not fair. I mean, it wasn't his sin. It was somebody else's. It's because of this whole concept of corporate personality. You with me? Corporate personality. Now, in light of that, you're going to say, as most people say, I think it's unfair. I don't like it. And I want to tell you, it is the greatest news of mankind. And here's why. Let's take... The story of the Christian, and I won't say the Christian, the uh, Judeo-Christian story, the Bible story, you take it and assume there's no corporate personality. So according to the Bible, right or wrong, Adam, he has a child. We know Adam sinned according to the record. So Adam has to die because he sinned. Let's say that somehow he has a child and never sinned, which we know that would not happen. It didn't happen. We've never known anybody didn't sin. But let's just say that he didn't sin, so he would get to go to heaven. Then he has a child, and that child, oops, he slipped up at age 11, and he sinned. Come on. We all are going to do wrong. We know that's the story of all of us. I never meet anybody that says I'm, I, would, I have no issue of, of ever doing anything wrong. I don't care what their view of, of, of right and wrong is. But let's say it happened. All right, this person wouldn't. This person would go to heaven. This person wouldn't, this person would, and it would go on like that. The truth of it is, reality, nobody would go to heaven under that scenario. Because God said, if you sin, you will die. Now, let's take corporate personality. Corporate personality says, if you're in the family of Adam, you all die. But there is in the Bible what's called the second Adam. Do you know who the second Adam is? It's Jesus. Jesus is considered the second Adam. Meaning, if you're in the family of the first Adam, you're going to die in your sin. If you're in the family of Jesus, even though you sin, you're going to live forever. You're treated as righteous as Jesus himself was. It's called federal headship. If you would like to read more about it from the Bible, read Romans chapter 5. It'll tell the story. Romans chapter 5. But that's the Christian belief, that it's the greatest thing that ever happens because now I still sin, but I get to be, because I'm in the family, not because I'm good, but because I'm in the family of God, according to the Bible record, God says, you will live forever. Very important. The last and final thing, God would not be righteous if sinful people were not punished. For sinful people to go unpunished based on what he said, he would have to violate his own word. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said it, shall he not do it? Hath he spoken, shall he not make it good? And he, people today are thinking, well, I'm going to find out maybe this Christianity is true and I was wrong and I'm going to get to heaven, get before God to... Enter into heaven or not, and I'm going to say, hey, God, please. Come on, please, please, please. I really, please, please. Okay, I told you that I wouldn't do this, but all right, I will. No, God can't do that. That's what man does, but that's not what God can do. So, four presuppositions. They don't convince anybody, but it gives an understanding of how Christians can believe. Why? We have different presuppositions. Presuppositions are based on the Bible. Is the Bible accurate? That's the big question. Now, I'm going to take a few of the, the questions that are on the very, very back and look at my time, and I want to make sure that we have time for Q&A. Uh, next week, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to, uh, during the, the, uh, this first answer to the question, it doesn't take as long. So I'm going to come back, and I'm going to address, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? And you'll understand that in a much better way. So can I invite you to bring these back this week's? And then we'll pick up there. I want to have time to do the open questions and so forth. So for a quick minute, if you will, take your Gospel of John. Did anybody miss getting a Gospel of John? If you do, raise your hand. I'd like for us to, to take the questions that you see here in, uh, on the very, very back panel. Question number 10 in your books comes from John 6, 35. What does Jesus mean when he says he is the bread of life? All right, chapter 10. What does it mean when Jesus says he's the bread of life? What he's saying is going back to what I said earlier. You can go on, if you missed, you can go on on Tuesday of any week. And you can hear, it'll be stay posted, but you will hear this week's. And we will then address the questions. You can go back. I addressed the question about... The story, or the issue of the story of glory, that's where this comes in. Designed with glory, fall from glory, search for glory, discovery of glory, for those that have heard it. Remember that. What Jesus is saying when he says that I am the bread of life, he's saying, you want satisfaction in your life? I'm the bread. What does bread represent? If you're dying of hunger and somebody says i'll give you some bread or i'll give you a billion bucks but you can't spend it on anything to eat you take the bread the bread is the essential of life he's saying i'm the essential of life glory satisfaction in your search for satisfaction i i am the remedy to that that's all he's saying let's skip down to number 12 What did Jesus teach was the consequence of not believing that he was the Christ, the Messiah that had been promised. And the answer is you shall die in your sins. That that doesn't mean Jesus is accurate, but it says that's what Jesus taught as one who claimed to be God. Number 13, Jesus taught that to be his disciple meant to follow his word. What does it mean to hold to his teaching? What does it mean to hold to his teaching? It means that you obey. If you want to be his follower, I often tell people this. As I'm meeting with them, helping them understand the faith, they said, do you know what the only condition really is to being a real follower? Do you know what's required to be a follower? Know what? You have to follow. (laughs) And I tell them, as I'll tell you, watch out for the incredible number of people you're going to meet in life who say, Oh, I'm a follower. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower. I don't follow, but I'm a follower. Then don't, just shut them off right then. And say, not buying, not listening. I don't want to hear what you got to say about it. Because Jesus made it over and over and over clear. If you want to be a follower, you have to follow. All right? Number 14. What does it mean to be free? Just remember this. Freedom is... Is not the license to do whatever you want to do. Freedom is the ability to do what you should do. Personify a train tracking up a mountain. And then the train says, oh, this is horrible, this is hard, this is, this is boring, this is slow, it gets up to the top, time to come back down. Oh, we gotta go all the way, it's gonna take forever. Hey, let's have some fun. Let's jump off the tracks and go down. That'd be fun, exciting, thrilling. And it is for a short period of time, and then it starts shaking, then it flips, and then it breaks up into a thousand pieces and says, that was the dumbest thing I ever did. Tracks bring freedom. God says, I'm going to give you the tracks. If you want freedom, it's not the freedom to go anywhere you want to go. It's the freedoms, the ability to stay on the tracks. Next question, 15. The Jews of Jesus day certainly had a strong belief in God. Did Jesus accept such a belief to be sufficient? And the answer is no. He, didn't believe, he said, that's not sufficient. Doesn't mean he's right, but you want to understand the Christian faith. Jesus said no. Now, if Jesus is God, I'd want to trust what he says. If I don't think he's God, which we'll really get into next week, then I'd say, hey, I want to give some merit to that. Number 16. What did Jesus mean when he said, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. I am is a, is a word of being, actually. And he's saying... I've always existed. People who tell me over lunch, you know, Jesus never claimed to be God himself. And I say, whoa, you're going to see about in the Gospel of John, it'll come up many, I think three or four questions will come up where he claims to be God in one way or the other. What does Jesus mean when he said, I am the gate for the sheep? He's saying, hey, there is a way to get into the fold of God's people. The gate is Jesus, and you're just going to bump against the fence anywhere else, but he's claiming to be the gate upon which you enter, and I'll skip the last one. So those are just a few of the questions just to give you a little bit of the answers there to that. Now, I want to move to the Q&A time. I'm about three minutes behind here, so my apologies, but, but I, I, want to, I want to give time for the questions, and one of the things that I, I, I apologize I didn't do, some of you are... Uh, just personality type, would not ever stand up in a group. Others would be fine, as we've seen. But uh, your questions are important to us, too. And so I'm going to start with a couple, and I have not selected any. I have not heard any of them. I don't even know. I just said, you guys, throw a few up that look like they represent the questions that are being asked, and then we'll take a couple of these, then we'll open it to the floor. And again, as I said last time, if there is no one from the floor, we've got plenty of, plenty, plenty of questions that have been coming in. Hope that you would take your little insert there, you can, you can look at it, and you can text or email even as we're doing this, all right? Then you can go online the Tuesday afterwards, and uh, you can hear all of this that I'm answering again, but over time, we're going to build an answer on the, our website, ifgod.com. We're going to try to answer the questions as many of them as possible that you've been asking. The question that I was asked by one person uh, last week when we were talking about the Bible is God's Word, they brought up a text in Mark chapter 2. You remember that? And the, the question was, well, what about the disparity of the, of the answer? You've got, you've got in Mark chapter 2 Jesus commenting on the time where David went into the, went into the, 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 the holy place and he gets the show bread and so forth. It's just a story. It comes out of, I think it's 1 Samuel 21 or so. But it's the story, and Jesus is referring back to that story. And he talks about the priest being Abiathar. Well, it was um, uh, Habimelech who was really, in that story, the right priest. So Jesus has given the name of the Father, not the Son. Now, in light of that... uh, the question is, well, is that not a contradiction? And therefore, you can say Scripture has its errors. I studied the text. As I study it, here's what I find. I find there are different answers that really do, could explain what Jesus was saying and why he would have said that. They're not strongly convincing. Like That does it right there. You can't do that. Keep in mind, this is in the book of Mark. Mark is using a language that Jesus, to write in the Greek, Koine Greek, and he is actually translating what Jesus has said in the Aramaic. It was accepted and understood at various times that you could, he could have actually been saying uh, in the t- days of. You can, that would actually happen. In fact, it happens uh, just like that in uh, another text. But uh, that's, that's not totally uncommon. But that is not proof. The reality is, is that maybe he made a mistake. Maybe he made a mistake. Now, again, a presupposition. Jesus is God. Everything's perfect with Jesus, right? Everything is perfect. What we fail to realize is the teaching of christianity is god Jesus is God, hundred percent God, he is also hundred percent man he's the God man. He himself said when asked a question about the time of the Father and all, he says, i don't know he was did 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 he get hurt and bleed and have pain and and did he hunger when he yeah he's perfect, but he 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 was all human too, and therefore. He is not sinning when he says, this, so he's not into sin, that kind of imperfection. But it doesn't mean, so it is not in any violation of the truth of Scripture, even if he were wrong. But there's good reason to suggest that maybe he was not wrong. But here's what I want to say. This is the important thing. There are two Scriptures in the whole of the Gospels that would be brought up as, here are your two contradictions The other one is in Luke chapter 2, the early part of Luke. And both of them are details about a historical person or issue that's just a historical detail. If you look at the mantra of Christianity, Christianity says this, that the Bible is infallible as a rule of faith and practice. And therefore, there is nothing that touches any issue of faith or how we live. Put it this way, even if the Bible were not the inspired Word of God, we would have questions, is all of it accurate? Well, you know, that would, that would be, you know, can we believe it and so forth? Uh, but the reality is, if we think Jesus rose from the dead, we just got, we'll talk about that next week. Then let me tell you, all of the issues are so Secondary. That means I better listen to what Jesus says. What we want to know is, is this record historical? Is it, is it accurate in terms of, is there anything here that's leading us astray? No. Historical detail? Maybe. But even there, maybe not. My best guess is if we got into it, we'd say, oh, that, that's not really an error. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. That's not going to shake my faith. And I would say this. If somebody said, well, if that's not correct, then I can't believe in Christianity, hey, that's your investigation. That's, that's perfectly understood. But at the same time, keep in mind the volume and volumes and volumes and volumes of data that are so accurate and the prophecies we'll look at next week that are fulfilled in Jesus and all these things, you're going to have to deal with that one too. So that's why I always say get your little tea leisure. Say this one is a, this is a negative, this one's positive, and you've got to make a decision. It's all, we're all betting, right? There's going to be a bet. That's what an investigation is looking to do. Now, um, let's, uh, let's go to a question on the board first. Let, give, me a, give me a question that's come from this audience. Let's see what it says. Why would God create unreached people that he knew would never know the gospel? Would they go to hell? The answer to the last one is easier than the first. The answer to the second, would they perish in hell? Yes, according to the Bible. It would say yes. Whenever the question comes, why God... It is my responsibility never to start guessing on why God would do something and say, "Here's the reason why. I could tell you my opinion of that, but I want you to know this: that would God create unreached people that he knew would never know the gospel? Well, apparently, he does know, but he knows all things. See, people who say the foreknowledge of God means that he looked beforehand and he saw what man was going to do and therefore he chose to do this because he saw what we were going to do. I wouldn't buy that. It's not biblical. That's suggesting that there was a time where God didn't know and he had to wait to see what we were going to do to decide what he was going to do. If that be the case, he's not all-knowing. He wouldn't be God. So apparently, yeah, he would know everything, even those that weren't. Did he create him for that reason? Why would he do it? Well, I don't want to give the exact, because the Bible doesn't say, here is why, except for his own glory. That's all we know. But that didn't answer your question, whoever's asking it. It doesn't answer. But I can come up with a scenario that would make me understand why God might do that. This is not from the Bible. But if I had to rationally say, well, what could be a reason? And if I can come up with a reason that says, well, that could be a reason and a, even an appropriate reason that I'm sure in God's world, remember the blackboard, all the eternal goes forever and ever, ever, the knowledge of God, then I trust there are reasons that I don't know about. But here would be my answer to that. Let me ask you this. Is God a loving God according to the Bible? Yes. Is God a... Fair God, according to the Bible, yes. And we can talk about all the one Is he a God of wisdom? Yes, and so forth and so on and so on. All right? There's the, the description of God. Incredible. Imagine that you know somebody, and that person is the most brilliant person. He is the most uh, attractive person. He's the most talented, or she's the most this, the most great. Just all this on and on and on. Would you be attracted to that person? Yes, you would. You would be attracted to that person. Now, let me ask you this. If that person were all of those things, but also at the same time, or let's say a different person was all of those things, but also was forgiving to you when you didn't deserve it, showed, I mean, incredible kindness to you that you never deserved, went, I mean, to extremes to sacrifice for your own good, which of those two would you love the most? And we'd all agree, the one that made the sacrifice for me, that forgave me, not the person that was just a wonderful, you know, brilliant person. It's all about glory. Well, according to the Bible, God does all things for his glory. Does he have the right for that? Yes, he does. He's God. It's not a selfish, inappropriate thing. He is worthy of all glory. So, think of this. If God had never, ever saved man, would would God still be a forgiving God? If he'd never forgiven anybody, would he still be a forgiving God? Yes or no? Important question. Yeah, he'd still be a forgiving God but we wouldn't know him as a forgiving God God would be the same today yesterday and forever he wouldn't change if he's God if God had never shown mercy to mankind to those to whom he did let me ask you would God still be a merciful God yeah if there had never been lost people which this question would suggest that he could have done away with having lost people it would be a done deal and everybody would go to heaven well, everyone would know God as a brilliant God. We'd know Him as a, you know, a God of wisdom. We'd know Him as a God of, of creativity. We'd know Him a lot. But you know what we'd never know Him as? We'd never know Him as a God of forgiveness because He would have never had to forgive anybody. We'd never know Him as a, a grace oriented God. He'd never had to show grace. And the story goes on, and on which one would we give more glory to? If my intention, if I were God to say, I want to bring glory to myself appropriately, then what better way? Well, he's going to have people who do and who don't, or there would be no grace. There would be no forgiveness. And therefore, I can come up with a reason that it would bring more glory to God. Now, does that make it feel good to me? No. But maybe that's the answer. But the better answer to the question, why would God create unreached people that he knew would never know the gospel? I don't know. I don't know if the Bible really speaks to it, or addresses it. But it's a good question, all right? Very good question. Does, it, does anyone really know what happens after death? And if we don't know for sure, should we be concerned about it? Should our efforts and focus be more on how we conduct our daily lives? Great question. Keep it up. Does anyone really know what happens after death? No. In terms of can prove it, no. We would have to have been there, experienced it, and come back. And now be able, you've got all these stories of people who are dying and they see this and they see that and then they come back to life and they tell the stories and all. Do I buy that as legitimate? Could be, but I don't necessarily believe it. I had an experience like that. And I was rushing out of my body. I nearly died. I was rushing out of my body. What I saw, what I experienced was the most amazing thing. It was incredible. I can vividly remember it to this day. And I came back, and I said, man, was that your experience leaving the body? Well, if I told you what it was and how it went, I said, no, I don't think so. I don't believe it was that at all. Chemicals get in your body and surgery. Things happen. Let me tell you, the mind does crazy things. People take LSD back when I was going to college, and same things happen to them all the time. (laughs) So I go, you know, I, I don't necessarily buy that. So can we really know what happens after death? No. Can we have some confidence that we know? If you take what's in the Bible and you say what the Bible teaches about what happens in heaven and what it's like, yeah. It gives me great confidence, but can I prove it? Not at all. Should we be concerned about it? Absolutely. I don't think anybody would be here. For the most part, we are a people who know we're going to die. No one says, I'll never die. And if we're going to die and... Why is it that 88% or 92%, whatever it is, of all people believe that there is life after death in some form or fashion? Everybody seems to believe it, so why be in the minority and say, I must be right? Hey, I'd, I'd be in the, in the great minority to believe. So I think we should all be concerned about it. Should our efforts and focus be, be more on how we conduct our daily lives? Yes, in this respect. If we come into relationship with God, and we're convinced that's the relationship. And this is what God would say. Hey, why wouldn't I want to follow the one that I believe created me, the one that I think redeems me? I would want to follow him. There's, there's this thing, love, what love does. I did a series where we were talking about the law and how important the law was. And I kept talking about grooming laws. Yeah, nobody, little <laughs> boys, they don't groom. My boys, they never groomed until they saw a girl that they liked. And then all of a sudden, I was talking to a buddy just the day before yesterday, and he said, I've loved golf all my life. My little girl is now going to college. I've asked her for 10 years to play golf with me. She's never done it. She says that's the dumbest. I don't care. No, da, 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 just crazy. And said, and all of a sudden, she comes to me and says, hey, Dad, let's go out and hit golf balls. Let's, play, let's, play, let's hit golf balls. He's going, you want to hit golf balls now two months before you go off to college? What's the deal? Well, my new boyfriend is a golfer. (laughs) Oh. Well, it's the same way. I'd say to that question, yeah, if you love the one who instructs, I'd follow the instruction. If I didn't, then I don't know. If it made you feel good to, to focus on efforts to help others, yeah. If that made you feel good, yes. But otherwise, I'd do it because of relationship. These are quick. Let me take one more quick one. And we'll go to the floor. Babies are all small, and if they die at that age, will they go to heaven? That's a great question. ask that all the time. And the answer is, I don't know. I mean, really, the Bible does not say, I could give you my thoughts and so forth. I'll say this. I wouldn't be surprised at all if all babies go to heaven. That would not surprise me. Those that are under a covenant relationship, and that's something in the, in the faith that if you have parents that are believers because of your lineage, that there's a, uh, there's a sense of which you would say, hey, there's some promises that go to them that make you think all the more that I would think that baby would go to heaven. But if you ask me, I say, I don't know, but I'll tell you this, it is not because they're innocent and therefore they're so young that they should go to heaven. God may in his providence say, I'm going to take everyone and I'm going to give them a clear understanding of faith. And I'm going to, I'm going to let their hearts be changed. Do you know that in the womb, there was, a, there was John the Baptist, who many of you wouldn't even know who it is. was a cousin actually of Jesus. And when met Mary with Jesus in the womb, leapt. And it says that the baby was indwelt with the Holy Spirit in Elizabeth's womb. Wow, God can do stuff in the womb according to the Bible. So I'd go, hey, God can do that. But it would be because God did a miraculous, incredible, loving work. Not because that child deserved it because of their age. They were innocent and not in a problem. But now, if you talk to my wife and you say, do babies go to heaven? Do all babies go to heaven? She says, absolutely. And then you follow up and you say, and why do you believe that? She'd say, because I want to believe it. (laughs) That's not why I would answer it. It was just, I mean, yeah, I'd like to believe it, but there really is no answer in the Bible. So there's one passage in uh, in one of the Samuels where where David is all crying and upset because his baby has died, or about to die, and he's all upset, and then he finds out the baby dies. And so at that point, he he quits. He kind of cleans up, and he says, let's go on with life. And they go, what's the deal? But when the baby was not dead yet, you were... You were just in grief, and now, and he says, hey, you know, I, I, the baby can't come back to me, but I will one day go to the baby. Well, that even is not a good text to say because it's really saying, you know, this baby can't come to, to life I can go to death, but it has no sense of assurance that that is a, a theology to build on it. So I wouldn't go that far and say, I don't know, but it's a great question. Is there one from the audience you like? And then we'll come back to another one up here. These are good ones. Anyone that you like for the audience to ask a, a question real quick? Anybody? All right. Until a hand gets up. If you want to throw up a hand during the... They'll come to you, but I'm going to take another one up here real quick. We got another one? There. In my relationship uh, with the God... In my relationship with the God is going up and down the scale, up and down the scale. And the Bible says that God wants me to be either cold and not lukewarm. Uh, How do I keep my faith at a good level? That's a great question. It may well be coming from a Christian uh, because in my relationship with God going up and down. But let me just say, for the seeker that would be here, very important to know that the lukewarm, God says in, in Revelation uh, chapter 3, he says, I would rather you be hot or you be cold. What I don't want is the lukewarm. And he goes on to say, lukewarm, I would spit out of my mouth. I mean, it's, there's, it's like the water that you, you drink, warm water, and it makes you nauseous. He says, that's, that's not what I want. I want you to be committed to me, to be my follower. Jesus followed that all the way along. He kept. In fact, somebody came to him and said, uh, "Hey, I want to follow you, but hey, my dad is is uh, dying. He's old, and and uh, let me first bury him, and then I'll come follow you." And the story is, Jesus turned around to him and says, "Let the dead bury the dead." It's not that this guy had a funeral the next day, and he says, "I'm going to be a day later. I've got to do the funeral service." He's saying, "My father's old. He's dying. He's very much against the faith of you, and this would cause a rift between us. Let me let him die." Then I'll come follow you. And he says, uh-uh. So he's calling. He, he sets a high standard. He says, I want you to follow me. Followers should follow. Well, in light of that, how do you get to the point that it's not lukewarm? It's the same way. Once you come to be what the Bible calls a baby in Christ, you become a new Christian, then you want to grow up. How do you grow up? You exercise and you eat well. The better you eat the Word of God, meaning that you feed on the Word, you try to learn the truth of God, the more you're in the Word, the Word transforms us according to the Bible. And the more we exercise our faith in terms of living for the purpose of God, we get stronger. It's like a muscle. It just builds bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's what keeps us from being the lukewarm. But the answer there in that text is to go back to your previous days. In other words, remember what life was like when you were fresh in your relationship with Jesus. Remember how beautiful he was to you. Go back and remember some of the things that sometimes we let drift away and we get stale. I think that's the answer. Any more here on the floor? Had bunches of them the last two weeks. If you're saying you like these better, uh, do you have any? No question? All right, let's go get another one here. We got one minute. This last question. Do good people go to heaven? I like to put it this way, based on everything we've heard now. Righteous people go to heaven. Good people, good is a, a relative term. Good compared to other people? Well, yeah, there's, there's good people in relationship. I'm, I'm a lot better than so-and-so, but I'm not as good as such-and-such. So that's a relative term. Good people, though, not really, because there are no good people. Righteous people, I like that term better. And guess what? When you become righteous, goodness should be increasing. Something for you to know. There are true Christians who are righteous, who are not as good as some non-Christians who are not righteous, using good on the scale, relative scale. For instance, a person may be a very, 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 very gracious, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful non-Christian. And you may have a, a ridiculous idiot for a non, you know, who becomes a Christian. I mean, the guy's just sick and bad and crazy and does stupid stuff. And he becomes a Christian. At that moment, he's made righteous. But he's not near as good yet as this person over here who's never been made righteous but living a good life. So, don't be deceived by just looking at the goodness scale. That can sometimes throw us quite a bit. Hey, been good to have you again through this, giving you a lot of presuppositions. I think you'll find it very interesting as we walk through next week, talking about why bad things happen to good people. And uh, we'll address that briefly. We'll move on to the third question, which is going to again get into the different religions and why Jesus would be the only way to God. Continue reading in John. I think you'll find that to be the most important thing. Maybe at the end I'll explain why. But truly, if you want what's best for an investigation, keep reading John. Go through the next five chapters. Look at the questions. See if you can give answers to them. And then feel free to go online after Tuesday and pick up anything you'd like to review or look over the past. Okay? Let me pray for you, and then we'll let you be dismissed. Father in heaven, thank you for uh, another time just to investigate. And uh, I pray you would give us uh, answers to, uh, uh, to life. And we're talking to you, assuming that that you are truly God and is such that uh, you would look at us as your creation and want to help us so we're gonna ask you to do that make this a profitable time and I pray that years and years decades from now there will be some of us telling our story I found life I found satisfaction I found faith even at that church at Old Alabama. So you make this a good, helpful experience, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you next week.